Welcome to Epiphany Church. So glad you're joining us here or so glad you're watching or listening online. And just pray that this, uh, this, this word is going to actually encourage you and bless you and strengthen you in your faith. Amen? So last week, we started a new series. We're calling it Kingdom in the Chaos. Can we say that? Kingdom in the Chaos. And we reminded you that, that the Bible is this huge story about a promised people and a promised place for those people. That, that, that's a huge story in the Bible. It starts in this garden. That's the place. starts with Adam and Eve. That's the people. And you know how that story goes, right? They get kicked out of the garden of God. But ever since that happened... The whole story of the scriptures is about getting his people back. He wants you back. God wants to be in fellowship with you. God loves you. God died for you. God sent his spirit so that actually God lives in you if you trust in him. And he actually guides you. You know, I, 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 I don't know if you've ever seen his... You know, online, something about said, do you need the Holy Spirit to go to heaven? And it was like this little post that said, said, brother, you need the Holy Spirit to go to Walmart. <laughs> right? Like, God leads us so that we don't lose our heads. God is in us and, and brings comfort into our lives day by day. We'd fail as parents, fail as children. Fail as friends and fail as neighbors if we didn't have God in our life. And in a lot of ways in which we can look at the wreckage of our relationships, it's because they're godless. <laughs> right? And so we're here to talk about a God who wants to bring his people back into a place together. In fact, you will remember when we preached through Genesis that God kept picking these descendants from Adam until we get to Abraham. And he calls Abraham in the wilderness and he puts Abraham, he's in the desert, and he makes Abraham fall asleep. And he has this dream and God shows him, what does he show him? He shows him the stars in the sky. Have you ever been outside when you're like, really far from the city like next to the the, the 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 shore or one of the great lakes or in a desert somewhere where there's no city lights anywhere near and all you see is the milky way all right there was a time in the 90s where the smog was low imagine that the sky was clear, and in L.A., the power went out, and they could see, because they're, they're near, they're near the ocean, and the sky was clear, and they could see the Milky Way, and people were calling 911, because they thought that there was something terrifying happening in the sky. It wasn't the normal sky where you see constellations, maybe a hundred 300 stars, you know what I mean? No, it's like billions of stars. It's like there's a gas attack. We're being attacked. <laughs> and they, no, no, the sky is clear and there's no power. 
and over the mountains is desert, and the other way is the ocean. And so you just saw the beauty of God's handiwork. And God told Abraham, look at all those stars. They're, you can't even distinguish one from another. That's how many of your descendants will be. God has these huge promises that, that he's going to have a people. They're going to be without number. <laughs> Amen? And they're going to bless the whole world, and that's the kind of the mindset, right, that, 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 that Israel has, that they are going to be this promised people in this promised land, but not just for themselves, but that they would be a light to the nations and that God will use them. But we need to remember, if you've been tracking with us, if you've been around for the last few years, you, you will remember this, especially if you're here for Genesis, if you're here for Exodus. But the first thing that we need to remember as we get into this book is that we are not reading a book about a bunch of heroes that we should exactly copy, right? What do we read about when we read about these men and women? We read about people who are polygamous. We read about people who are rapists, murderers, manipulators. And so the Bible has sort of primed us for this reality that as we read about these people, that we're not reading about people that we should just imitate every single thing they did as heroes. Now, if, if, if you, sometimes when you go to church, right, do you ever go to church back in the day, they had the flannel graphs, and they, they little pieces of cloth, and they put them against the board, or if you ever watch, like, some of the cartoons on YouTube that, like, explain the Bible story to little kids, and it's just like, it's just like, look how brave Joshua was, and everything is, like, sanitized, <laughs> Everything is cleaned up. Everything is, is like Bible, but G-rated. But the Bible's not G-rated. <laughs> these, they are all really messed up, right? I mean, Jacob, right? He conned his brother out of the blessing. Abraham pimped out his wife. He, he, to save his own neck, he literally offered his wife up to other kings. He did it once. Then he did it again later in life, <laughs> right? It was like a pattern of sin. Moses, Moses saw some guard beating an Israelite. And when nobody was looking, he thought, somebody saw him, he killed the guy and then buried him in the sand. And then when he found out that people saw him, he ran away and hung out and hid in the desert for 40 years. So, so when we get to this point in Joshua, we know all these stories. And our expectations of God's people are different than we might think. And these aren't so much saints that are in like stained glass mirrors, windows I mean, with like halos that are just like always kind <laughs> and perfect. And we should just imitate what they do. But they're more like the people that show up, the guests on Jerry Springer. <laughs> right? They got big size problems. Right? With real problems. And when they do respond in faith, here it is. They're doing what's best in that moment. <laughs> when they are commended by God, <laughs> they're doing what's best in that moment. 
And, and see, this is, this is the thing I want you to get out of this message tonight. As we go into this story of, of Joshua sending the spies, right, in chapter 2, and, and, and them staying with Rahab, the prostitute, and then them sneaking out. The, the thing that we get from this story is not that they're like these sinless people that we should copy perfectly, but we need to see that in the actual realness of life where there isn't always great options, they're doing what's best in the moment in faith. You hear what I'm saying? You're going to ruin your opportunities and the blessing that God has for you by being paralyzed because you can't snap your fingers and get out of the bad situations you're in. God hasn't called you to fix everybody around you. He hasn't called you to snap your fingers and everything be righteous and right. But he has called you day by day in faith to make the best next move you can. To make the best next move you can. And you still might have a bunch of things going off in your life. Habits, struggles, problems that aren't resolved yet. And yet God has called you to take one step in front of the other. If you are paralyzed and thinking like, I won't follow God until I can follow him for real and perfectly, you will not follow him at all. You will not go anywhere or do anything. But he's calling you to the next best move. So if God can use manipulators, polygamists, and we will see in this story, right, dudes who crash and spend the night at a prostitute's home, sneak out with the covers, with the bed sheets, violent men. If God can use violent men and ratchet women, to just do the next best thing in light of what God is showing them right now, despite their past, he can use us, right? He can use us. He can use single moms and single dads. He can use people with a ratchet past. He can use a bunch of people with ongoing issues. If you feel too ashamed to be used by God, I want you to get in this book with me and see the kind of people that God used. Because he used sinners. He used broken people. And not a little bit broken, but deeply broken. Jerry Springer gets broken. So this bridge is rated for your problems. You may be so jacked up and know it, or you may be too proud to know how jacked up you are. But I want you to know that he will use you if you trust him and you do the next best thing in faith. God didn't come just for the righteous, but the ratchet. He didn't come just for the holy, but for the hood, all right? He didn't come just for the strong, but the weak. Those dealing with crushing anxiety, with struggles, with sadness and pain. God can use you. All right, so that's the first thing. We look at these stories. You know, there's going to be a lot of introduction. We're going into a tough part of the Bible. And I want you to know that the people we're reading about aren't just heroes. 
to copy every single thing they do. But they give us a model of broken people doing the next best thing they could in a bad situation. And, you know, sometimes we find ourselves in a bad situation, right? And when you're broken down by the side of the road, who needs somebody to come alongside them and to say, well, why didn't you buy a new car? <laughs> Personally, I like to lease cars. I'm, I, not really, I'm saying. <laughs> that's, not, that's not what you want to hear, right? That's not going to help you in your situation now. And thank God when we read his word, it's not just, hey, if you had just been perfect and came from a perfect background, then God could use you. That's not what the Bible teaches. He, he uses each one of us. And number two the, that we see in this is that leading, the leaders of God's people point to the need for a, a greater leader. And Joshua... We're going to learn some stuff. He's going to do some stuff in faith. It's going to be encouraging. But he's pointing to the need for a greater leader. When we get into the book of Judges, there's all these men and even some women that God rises, raises up to do some violent stuff and to, to, to deliver God's people. And yet, this all points to the need for a greater deliverer, a greater captain, a greater leader, right? And we took care of this last week, but I want to remind you that this book, Joshua, that we're starting in, Joshua's Hebrew name is Yeshua, and so Joshua is the same name as Jesus. Jesus comes from the transliteration of Yeshua in Greek to English. It's where you inscribe the, the, instead of the sounds, you just put the Greek letters that correspond with the Hebrew letters, and then you pop out with a totally different sound, right? And so, if you know someone that's named Josh, this is funny, like, you know, we all know the Spanish folks that have the name Jesus, right? Jesus or whatever, and we're like, wow, that's pretty intense. Imagine naming your kid Jesus. Except, you know, anyone you ever met that's named Joshua... <laughs> They might not even know it, but they're also named after Jesus. <laughs> and uh, it can't be more between the eyes. This book is about a guy named Jesus. <laughs> Yeshua, right? Joshua. It's about a guy named Jesus. And his, what's the book about? He's going to lead God's people into the promised land and conquer their enemies. But he ain't the Jesus we know. He's going to lead God's people into a promised land and conquer their enemies. He's going to do it in a way that is temporary, in a way that is physical, right? But Jesus is going to do it in a way that's eternal, in a way that's spiritual. And just like we saw last week that, that, that you know, God commissions Joshua and Joshua then tells the people, right, it's recorded that everywhere they go, every place the sole of their feet touch the ground, the land will be theirs and that God will be with them always. But well, we know that when Jesus, after he died and rose again, he ascended to heaven, he said that, right? He said, go and make disciples in my name, discipling them, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. Right? He wants us to go and conquer souls, 
not physical lands. And uh, this is, that's really important. We'll get back to that in the weeks to come. When we mess that up, we get into some serious problems, right? And we start to become all about politics. And we just completely forget what Jesus taught. He said, those who live by the sword will die by the sword. But let's continue in this story in the book of Joshua, chapter 2. I'm just going to read verses 1 to 15. It says, Joshua, son of Nun, which we can just pause for a moment. That's kind of funny. Joshua, son of Nun. Every time I read it, it kind of makes me laugh. Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two men as spies from the Acacia Grove, saying, go and scout the land, especially Jericho. So they left, and they came to the house of the prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of, Je of Jericho was told, some of the men, the Israelite men, have come here tonight to investigate the land. Then the king of Jericho sent word to Rahab and said, bring out the men who came to you and entered your house, for they came to investigate the entire land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. So she said, yes, the men did come to me, but I didn't know where they were from. At nightfall, when the city gate was about to close, the men went out, and I don't know where they are going. Chase after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them among the stalks of flax and she had a, that she had arranged on the roof. The men pursued them along the road to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as they left to pursue them, the city gate was shut. Before the men fell asleep, she went up the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that the terror of you has fallen on us. And everyone who lives in the land is panicking because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to Shion and Og, the two Amorite kings, you completely destroyed across the Jordan. And when we heard this, we lost heart, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is the God of heaven and on earth below. Now, please swear to me by the Lord that you will also show kindness to my fam father's family because I showed kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father, mother, and brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and save us from death. And the men answered her, we will give you, give our lives for you. If you don't report our mission, we will show kindness and our father and our faithfulness to you when the Lord gives us the land. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, since she had lived in a house that was built into the wall of the city. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. So just as Moses, right, in Deuteronomy 1, sent out the 12 spies... Joshua, 
the spiritual son, right? Joshua, the assistant to Moses. Moses died, remember, last chapter, right? Moses, right, it was right after Moses climbed up Mount Nebo. God showed him the land, but Moses wasn't going to enter the land. And so now Joshua, just like in the beginning of Deuteronomy, how Moses sent out spies, Joshua sends out spies. And, and, and I, I love this. I love this. You know, um, how are you going to do anything well without an example? You know what I mean? Like, how would Joshua, Joshua know how to lead God's people? How, how to, how, like, who could fill this job description? They're not in the land. They don't have cities. They're living in this one massive encampment. They want to eat like everybody else. They got problems they got to figure out. Where is all of our waste going to go? How are we going to live? Where are we going to get water? And then they're surrounded by enemies, like people that want to kill them. And so Joshua watched Moses lead. He watched Moses, right, when he was praying on the mountain, lifting his hands up and would get tired. And he had those who would assist him to hold up his hands and continue to pray. He watched Moses just, just pray and God show up. And how he led and how he judged God's people. How he helped them come to decisions full of the Holy Spirit. And he watched Moses send out spies. And so, in the beginning of his work, he does the same thing. He sends out spies. He moves just like Moses. He talks like Moses. He walks like Moses. Do you get what I'm saying? So, like, we had a youth minister here for, for five years, which is a really long time in youth ministry. And so if you hang out with some of the teens, they, like, copy the things that Dylan said, right? They're just a little weird, like, well, sure, <laughs> you know? Or like, or like the, the habit of saying, yeah, man, yeah, man, even if he's talking to like a 60-year-old woman. Yeah, man, yeah, no, bro, like that's not how we talk to like a, a woman twice your age, like chill, <laughs> you know? It's funny, but it's true. Um, we have to take the examples that we have to become the men and women that God is calling us to be. We also have to grab a hold of there's so many dead and distant mentors available to us, right? Like, like, I can't tell you how many people, like, I have studied their life. I have read every single word that they ever published. And they have not been alive, some of them, for hundreds, even thousands of years, right? Like, I, I, I have read the, the letters that Calvin sent to the missionaries in the Caribbean and the letters that he was writing up to Germany and up to, like, I, I, I know some of these, these men and women, right, who, who, who had prayers and they wrote down in their journals the things that God was showing them. There are people that are distant to us in time and have been dead for a really long time that can still mentor us that can still be like a Moses to Joshua, 
where we get new ideas. I remember just um, when I was young, reading about with, uh, this group of, of, of young guys, and I mean they were young, 16, 17. They're in Oxford, and they started to fast twice a week, and they started to go to the prison. You know what we did? Like, I was in youth group. I'd been a Christian for two years. So we started fasting on Tuesday and Thursday. And we started going to the nursing home. And we started going to the mall, sharing the gospel. And we started to just do things that we were inspired by men, young men, who lived 300 years before us. Crying out for God to work in our lives. Every one of those guys that I did that with, it was like five guys, they're all in full-time ministry now. <laughs> Do you hear what I'm saying? Do you hear what I'm saying? Like God just can use people that are distant from us. I, we, we got last year to go. And this has happened more than once. But just more recently, last year, a few of us went. We went to Cincinnati. And we got to hear Jack Deere. And, 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 and watch him in a ministry of healing as he was encouraging us to go after the spiritual gifts, to just go after it and pray for people to be well who are sick. And we watched people get healed. And we got to, there's a picture of me as I broke through whatever little crowd there was and I'm standing there talking to them and they all knew what was happening. They took a picture and I was like, hey, Hey, Jack, come meet our team. Come, come meet us. We are in a place called Gloucester City, New Jersey that needs a lot of healing. And we want to learn how to grow into using the way of loving people with the power of God. And it was a blessing. That's a mentor to me. I've read every single thing that he's ever written and heard probably every message that is online. God uses mentors. And just because you weren't surrounded by Christian mentors in your life doesn't mean that there aren't mentors out there. There's only thousands of years of godly men and women to listen to and to learn from. And you need to go after it. All right? Oh, man. I remember one of my mentors because some of them are alive and not distant. And one of those mentors for me is named Pastor Doug Logan. And uh, our brother Robinson goes to the seminary that he founded where he's training up hundreds of pastors in this seminary. But I got to, got to be with him every single day. We rode around in the car, walked around the neighborhood, um, and I saw God work through him in so many ways. And I remember one time we were traveling, we went, and there was this uh, conference, and it was all like second and third generation Indians. And so these were the children and grandchildren of those who came from India. They had, um, and, and mostly from Christian backgrounds, okay? And so there's a lot of Christians in India, especially southern India, um, that like actually, fun fact, Christianity was in India when the Apostle Thomas came and brought the gospel. And there's a church there called the Maratoma, right, of Thomas Church that's been in India longer 
much longer than it ever was in England. <laughs> and so while um, people in Northern Europe were painting their face blue and doing human sacrifices, <laughs> there were followers of Jesus in Southern India for centuries. We need to, we need to reshape the way we think about some of this stuff, right? <laughs> And, um, but he told this group of people, Pastor Doug, he said, he said, your parents had none of the opportunities. They came here, right? They faced adversity. They faced discrimination. They didn't have two dimes to rub together. They worked. Sometimes they lived in the little shop that they worked at, right? Right? <laughs> And now he's speaking to the second and third generation. He said, your parents had none of the opportunities but all of the courage. And then he said, but you have all the opportunities and none of their courage. Challenging them. Because all weekend long they were telling us the very core of our identity is to be risk adverse and to go into professions where we can make a lot of money because our parents sacrificed so much. And ministry, there is no money. Unless you're like some crazy manipulative TV guy, like the mainstream of ministry is a total thing of faith, and you never know how you're going to make it from month to month. Right? And like, this is not what we do. And so we want to have ministries. We want to see the gospel run through this generation, but nobody wants to be in this calling because it's scary and it's hard. And he said, look, look at your parents. Look at the risks they took. And now they took it for you to be stable, but can't you take those risks for God? Can't you take those risks to see the gospel expanded? You know, the author of Les Mis, you ever, you ever hear that? Les Miserables, I know I'm saying it wrong, it's French. Powerful story right? Victor Hugo, he says this, he says, adversity makes men and prosperity makes monsters. Come on. <laughs> adversity makes men and prosperity makes monsters. We are going to see some men made in Joshua, but it will be a couple months and we will start to see monsters. We'll see God's people slide as the generations slip. And where those who obeyed God and did what God called them to do, they stopped doing that. They wanted to be a little bit more, you know, let's uh, just enjoy all the blessings God has for us and have a good time. And eventually, incrementally, all of those compromises turn into a huge compromise and a drifting away from God. I don't like to talk like this, like nationally, whatever, but it's just, there's no question that we have been a victim of our success in America, that past generations have faced incredible adversity, and that there has been generations of wealth build up because they did the hard things, and now we're sitting in a spot where we are lost, where we are godless, where we are struggling. But here's the good thing about that. Here's the good thing about that. If we turn to Jesus in these hard times, he can make men and women out of us. 
We can rise up again like our great-grandparents who faced hard times. And we can become strong men and women in the Lord. I believe that. Man, we were born for adversity. We were called to adversity. And yet, you will hear every single second on the airwaves and on the TV that if you just do X, Y, and Z, God wants to promise you a pain-free life. And I want you to know that there is nothing in the Bible that promises you a pain-free life. Do we believe? Do we believe that God can heal? We absolutely do, and we've seen it, and we trust him for it. He wants to heal. He wants to work in miraculous ways. But he does that not to put us on the couch and put a remote control in our hand for us to just chill out and act like it's heaven now. He wants to fix you up, to send you out on the field as a soldier. He wants to heal you so that you can obey him and do the hard things he's called you to. And so we see in, right here in this story that, 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 that they're gearing up for war. And, and then we see in verse 1 that, that it says that they're going after Jericho. He says, it's so interesting. He says, especially Jericho. I love it. It says, especially Jericho. Like, go out and spy the land, but especially Jericho. Jericho is a fascinating city, and I went down a rabbit trail of watching too much about Jericho this week. <laughs> and there's a tower in Jericho they found. It's 10,000 years old. There's this 30-foot tower made out of brick, which is like that shouldn't exist because all the people around that time were like hunting and gathering food. They didn't live in cities. And so people are like scratching their head. Jericho has been known for a long time in archaeology as the oldest human city ever. But what happens, this is fascinating too, what happens when you look at all the history of, of Jericho, just from the archaeology, but there's also, we see this in the Bible too, but what we see is that there are times when there are like tens of thousands of people living together, and then, then hundreds of scale of hundreds, even thousands of years later, there's like nobody living in the city, and everybody kind of went backwards in time. <laughs> we all assume that we just sort of like coast on, and things get better and better and better and better, and that's not how it works, Right? We used to, in Europe, have a system for heating water and having plumbing inside. And they made these roads that went everywhere. And they had aqueducts. And they would bring water from the ocean all the way in, miles in. And then we went through like a period of a thousand years where everybody forgot how to do any of that. And we were burning people's witches. <laughs> right? And so what happens is, is that, you know, adversity creates men but prosperity makes monsters and we are not guaranteed that the generations after us are going to have it better than we have at it and the reason that i'm harping on this is this these are the themes of the books we are studying we're going to see generations rise and fall and we're going to learn what we can from it but I, but i love this let's take it personally they go after jericho they go after the big city 
They didn't just try to conquer the little towns they could, the little villages they could. He didn't say go and like just let's do some stuff we can manage, get some confidence, then we'll go after Jericho. He says go out in all the land, especially Jericho. This was the biggest city. We are called to go after it, man. So are you addicted to porn? Get after defeating that habit in your life. Are you addicted to weed? Get after that habit. Get over it. You can be healed from it. You can be set free from it. You might not even be sure that that's something you want to do, but I'm telling you, you can go after the Jericho in your life. Is it getting drunk? Is it women? Is it men? Is it crushing anxiety? Whatever it is in your life, whatever that city is, that stronghold in your life, God doesn't call you to like just kind of like make small improvements around it. <laughs> Man, he wants you to go after it. And Joshua sends the spies, especially, not just like also, but especially to the worst place. And then we meet Rahab. And these guys definitely missed the New Testament message, right, where it says avoid the appearance of evil. <laughs> Spending the night at the prostitute's house is not something that you want your leaders in the church to do, right? And it's not something they can do. And they end up in this woman's house. And they end up, and she, she ends up lying very explicitly about it. It wasn't just like a, like a lie of omission, like, I don't know. She goes way beyond the, like, I don't know who they are. Where they, she made up a whole story. <laughs> about how they left right before the gates were closed and how they went and you should go chase them now. She gives them that, that little idea, like, you, should, you ever seen the movie Inception? She, like, plants a little thought, like, go chase them. <laughs> go chase them. They left already. Meanwhile, they are hiding up on the roof. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, in faith, she was doing the next best thing she could with what she had when it was life or death, right? We get into these like deep questions like, is it ever okay to do X, Y, and Z? And then, you know, you get these, these, these situations like, well, if you're in Nazi Germany and you're hiding people in your house to save their life, can you lie? Guys, like in real life, it's not people at the coffee house sipping coffee, talking about morality in some abstract way. In real life, right, sometimes your, like, house is not insured. Your car is not insured. So, sometimes medically you shouldn't be doing something, and you got to do it to live, to take care of the people in your family. Sometimes God has not called you to be perfect or he abandons you, but he says do the next best thing you can right now. You might have a hundred different problems in your life, a bunch of struggles and habits, a bunch of things that people actually knew these secrets, they wouldn't want to know you. God's not walking away from you. He's not calling you to have it all resolved before he can start working in your life. He's just asking you to do the next best thing. The same way he worked with Rahab, and then Rahab becomes the great, 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 great grandma of Jesus. <laughs> Right? The same way that he is, she is honored for her faith in Hebrews 11. The same way that it is accounted unto her as righteousness for having faith in this moment by doing 
the best thing she could in a bad situation, God can also do that in you. Do you hear what I'm saying? I want you to know that God is not far from you when you do the next best thing. <laughs> right? And the Israelites aren't going to take over this promised land in a day. This is going to be a fight. We're going to read these chapters. It's going to feel like weeks. It's going to feel like they take over the whole promised land in weeks. But if you look at the fine details, you will be able to figure out it's about seven years. This is not going to happen like this. Imagine who you could be in seven years. By continually in faith, doing the next best thing you can do in that moment. For somebody else in the church, it might be going way back. For some, but God doesn't care. God doesn't judge you. You have to run your race. You have to do what's next for you. You can't be comparing yourself to me, to you know, Chris, to Lillian, to, to uh, Deb, or anybody else. You have to do the next best faith move for you, faith move for you. With God, with consistency, you could be unrecognizable in seven years from now. <laughs> you could be. With God and consistency in walking in faith, you will be unrecognizable in seven years. Right? In a seven-year time frame, there was a man I already talked about him, right? Dylan was partying hard Dylan. And fast forward seven years, making the best move step by step, he was a pastor in training Dylan. Right? You, you can be hospitalized multiple times suicidal cutting yourself like a bunch of the kids in this community and in our church struggling like me and seven years after that a missionary in Africa that's my that's me right when you keep making steps of faith right there are people in this room who had toxic relationships. They were getting beat on and they were being ground down as worthless seven years ago. And now they're like oaks of righteousness. They're some of the first people you want to go to when you want prayer, when you want to get loved on, when you want to be encouraged. God can do amazing things in seven years. Oh my God. You can go from Deep in addiction, wrecking your family to leading worship in seven years. We overestimate what's going to happen in seven weeks and seven months. <laughs> Don't we? And vastly underestimate what God can do with a bunch of faith moves consistently in seven years. This is what God does. When you just keep doing the best thing you can. Now listen, guys. Next week, we're going to get into the real wild stuff and put on our thinking caps and deal with the issue that is the big issue of Joshua for our ears, right? That God would actually call God's people to destroy the Canaanites. That's a hard pill to swallow. It causes people to wonder if they want to trust the Bible at all and believe in God at all, right? And so... I don't want to just like kind of 
even though we got to it a little bit in the text where Rahab and her family is going to be spared and the whole city is going to be destroyed, I want to take the time needed to really get into that difficult issue. All right? But, but just remember that the Bible is real and raw and hard to swallow sometimes. And I want you to know that the more we look at it, the, the more we will understand, you know, maybe this is the choice we don't want to make. We don't want to just go into YouTube G-rated versions of these stories, editing out what it really is saying, right? And, 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 and just do flannel graph theology. When we just have theology that's built for five-year-olds, how are we going to grow up in the faith? When we hear the stories the way a five-year-old would hear it, and we edit out the rape and the murder and the manipulation and the lying and the compromise and the polygamy and the violence, we need to hear the stories for what they really are. But I want to end with this tonight. The land was occupied by the Canaanites, the spiritual descendants of Cain, the first one who murdered his brother right in the beginning, right? Right in Genesis chapter 4. And then the physical descendants of Ham, right? Born out of sexual morality, everything about them. They, they, they offered their children into the burning hands of Moloch. There they have a statue. They put a little coal under it. They'd heat the thing up, right? And they'd put their children. Can you imagine putting your children on a statue to burn to death in worship to demons? They are the archetypical, like they are the picture of the enemy of God's people, right? We learn in Ephesians, and we're going to get into all that next week. In Ephesians 6, 12, though, right, we learn that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against powers and principalities. We don't follow Yeshua, a.k.a. Joshua, the military commander seeking power in this world. But we follow Jesus, Yeshua Jesus, right? We don't follow the dudes sending dudes out to sneak into homes of prostitutes to get information, but we follow Jesus, who isn't the perpetuator of violence, but the victim of violence, who goes to the cross for our sins, right? To open up the door to brawlers and prostitutes and addicts and people who are jacked up and people who don't think they're jacked up, but they're jacked up, right? And so I want to ask you, as the worship team comes up, man, I really want to minister to someone tonight. I want you to think about this right now. What is the next best thing? What's the thing that God's calling to you right now? Right? There might be a whole lot of complicated stuff in your life. You're not going to fix it. You're not going to unravel it all. Right? It's not going to happen in seven weeks, seven minutes. But I want to encourage you. Come on up. Whisper in my ear, I want to pray for you. It, what's the next thing? Like, maybe you're rewinded all the way back to the spot where Rahab is, and it's life or death. And you just need to do the thing in faith. 
that's going to help you live the next day. I'll pray for you for that. Amen. Maybe God is calling you. He's raising you up into a greater place of service, into leadership, into greater holiness, into cutting out things in your life. Maybe there's some Jerichos that you need to send some spies to. You need to be aggressive. You need to get a plan. You need to overcome some sin and struggle in your life. Come up and whisper in my ear, whisper in Esther's ear. We would love to just pray for you to experience victory. Amen?